Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good evening and welcome to Man on the Post, European podcast number four. I'm your host, James Rowe, and once again I'm joined by my partner in crime, Scott Monroe. Good evening, Scott. How are you? Good evening, James. Yeah, not too bad. Enjoying my week off work. How about yourself? Yeah, very well. On, on a high after Ajax's uh, win against Benfica, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. We're going to start our podcast this week, Scott, by talking about the fallout of the Milan derby. As a um, aficionado of Italian football and someone who has a lot of knowledge about Italian football, what was your take on the Milan derby? Uh, um, I, didn't th- I actually honestly thought it was just going to end up nil-nil. <laughs> it wasn't the greatest of games. Um, Inter nabbed it right at the end, thanks to um, a wonderful bit of play by Matthias Ficino. Um, the Uruguayan midfielder who literally was out on his legs played a lovely cross to Icardi who did nothing all game but if you give him a chance he will he will score a goal and he got in front of his marker got in front of Donnarumma and headed home Donnarumma made a bit of a mistake for the goal and I think he's taken a bit of the flack uh, from Milan fans on social media and in the Italian media itself um Inter deserved to win in my eyes. They were much the better side, and uh, they could have been ahead in quite by quite a few in the first half. Disallowed uh, goal from McCardy, who was literally fractions offside after um, a, 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 I think it was a free kick from the left, which was curled in. Pacino uh, headed it. Put to Accardi and he just straight offside. Milan also had a goal rightly disallowed right on half time. But Milan didn't, AC Milan didn't really, really offer that much. They tried to sit deep and like be really compact and try to hit on the counter attack. But their game plan failed. Um, each, uh, Gattuso brought in Patrick Cacione, who was one of the star players for him last season, mm-hmm. and then stuck him out wide left. And he's actually a, like a, a natural number nine. He reminds me of Inzaghi with the off the ball runs. And he's hardly played for Milan this season. And they also brought on Bakayoko, who is like flopped to Chelsea and hasn't really started well at um, Milan on loan there's even talks of him going back to Chelsea but mm. yeah it was it was not a very good performance from AC Milan and evidently last night they got beat um, by Real Batiste in the Europa League uh, 2-1 at home to, at the San Siro yeah what a fantastic result that was for Real Batiste yeah and 2-1 uh, actually a the goal by um, Giovanni Lo Celso who's online from PSG if anyone checks that out please do it's an absolutely brilliant goal into the top corner but there's, a, there's reports that um, Gattuso is, uh, could be uh, could be on the way out of AC Milan and Roberto Donadoni coming in to replace him but uh, on the other side of the city or uh, not for the, the blue side it was an actually really good result and it proves that 
they're, they brought in quite a lot of players in over the summer. They're not gelling at yet, but they're getting the results. So they're playing ugly football, but getting the wins. And after the start of the season they had, it's good that for Spalletti that his project that he wants to do is start of uh, coming off because they want to be up in the top two or three in Serie A and like, being in contention to uh, maybe for the last stages of the Champions League. I know they got beat by Barcelona in midweek, but they're in a, in the, I know they're in a tough group, but uh, they're in like good hands because Spurs and PSV are not. Uh, they have only picked up one point each, so where Barcelona and PSV um, with Inter are like at the top two. Yeah, I think it's. I think it just goes to show the progression that Inter have made, and um, being a Milan aficionado. I can't quite believe that the history of the club has gone from the likes of Origosaki, Fabio Capello, Carlos Ancelotti, Carlo Ancelotti, Massimiliano Allegri, and now to Gennaro Gattuso. Yeah, it's, it's gone slightly like south. Yeah, um, with the money they've spent, the spent over the last couple of years. I know they had the huge investment from Chinese owners that went a bit uh, went very much awry they bought Leo Bonucci who's now back at Juventus they've spent all this money on all these players some of of them have come off Suso's a very good player I really like Suso I like Chanaloglu Higuain is a is a very shrewd signing on a loan deal and uh, they've got Mattia Caldaro who's one of probably the up there were Alessio Romagnoli the the two um, centre-back prospects for Italy in the future um, on on a game, if you if anyone checks the highlights, Alessio Romagnoli makes an absolute wonderful challenge. I think it's to block Icardi late on in the first half. It's very Alessandro Nesta esque. Mm. It, it just stays with him, stays with him, and just makes a last ditch challenge. Romagnoli's come on leaps and bounds since he left Roma. Uh, I think it was about two years ago. It was a bit of a scapegoat. Now he's the captain of the club. Mm. I think you can see big things from him this season. Yeah, I was just doing a bit of um, doing a bit of um, homework on Milan before the pod started. You know, they've got about twenty players out on loan. I didn't know it was that much. Madness, absolute madness. That it's sent all over, well, mostly in Italy, but with that kind of player turnover, it, it can't be good, can it? I mean, I look back to the Milan of uh, under Ancelotti and um, the Champions League campaigns, and the sides were always so settled. You could always tell what the 1-11 to was going to be you could always yeah. tell that they were going to be defensively organised you could always tell what you were going to get and now it just appears to be like a coming together coming together of uh, players from all different nationalities wearing the famous Milan shirt but not necessarily all having the standard of uh, Milan what it, what it takes to play for that club no, I think with the, the stability of the club is coming to question that over the last couple of years and they were spending as I said earlier, spent quite a lot of money last season just to finish, what, fifth, mm. sixth? I know it was just like a, a proper rebuilding job in the last couple of years, but they it's like early in the mid-2000s. Between Inter and Milan, they were spending so much money on so much rubbish players. Like, Andrea Pirlo left Inter to go to AC Milan on a swap deal with, some, uh, I think his name is called Julie, another Italian player. Okay. And, look how, and look how Pirlo turned out. So yeah. Inter had him and then sold him to AC Milan. They did the same thing with Clarence Seedorf. Yeah. Seedorf was at Inter and then he went to AC Milan. 
you had this weird deals going on between both the clubs in like the early 2000s both are, fall, are, are fallen giants just remember eight years ago Jose Mourinho's inside won the treble yeah. they won the Serie A above against AS Roma on the last day they won the Italian uh, they won the Italian club in Rome against AS Roma and they won the Champions League in Madrid against uh, Bayern Munich Mm. And, and eight years since then, they've been fallen giants. Yeah, to shine a light on it, certainly to not make this uh, Milan derby debate all about Milan. Uh, if you, you look at their squad, they have got some very good players. Uh, Stefan yeah. de Frey is a player I rate extremely highly. Ivan Perisic and uh, João Mario and Nangolan and Handanovic is a, a seasoned goalkeeper as well. And I think I agree with you. I think Spalletti did such a good job at Roma in calming things down and getting them good characteristics out of them but I think given time I think he'll emulate that at Inter yeah Spalletti's a very good coach in the league but he's not very the best adapting to Europe mm. we're just hoping he can sort that problems out this season because in the Champions League group they got this season it is horrid they've got like but before, before um, Wednesday night they've actually done quite well so they won late against Spurs and they won in Eindhoven mm-hmm. Um, but like, they lost 2-0 in, in Barcelona but they've got Barcelona at the San Siro in, in what two weeks and mm. they might have Nijgelen back who picked up an in, a quiet it looked quite an obnoxious injury uh, on Sunday um, Lucas Biglia put a, a late challenge in and he's, uh, sort of bent his ankle and they missed they missed Nijgelen's intensity because he's a very intense player but he'll bring the best out of you because mm. uh, in the last couple of years he's been playing as a number 10 um, he's not really he was, when, he, when I first watched him when he was at Cagliari and then when he went to Roma he was like a box to box midfielder so he's been deployed as a number 10 Spalletti loves him and Spalletti can get the best out of you yeah well I think it's, I think it's good signs for Inter and um, yeah I think they'll, I think they'll get through their Champions League group and uh, you know, home, the home leg regardless of who they play in a potential last 16 I think they'll give anybody a game yeah, I totally agree with that because they've got they've got the players. They've got some very good players, like as you said, um, Stefan De Vrij, who they picked up from Lazio for a free transfer, mm. and especially on the last day of last season where Inter had to win at Lazio, and De Vrij cost Lazio. Um, I think it was the second goal for Inter, yeah. which was a penalty. Yeah, they've got good players. They've got. Uh, I always rate Handanovic. I think he's one of the best goalkeepers in Italy. Mm. I remember seeing him play for Udinese against AZ Alakmar many many years yeah, ago. Yeah, he was very good for Udinese and like picked uh, into picked him up for like eleven million. And it, 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 like most goalkeepers, they have a howler in him, but they call him Batman and he just makes some unbelievable saves. Yeah, I think his uh, I think his reputation has been enhanced no end since his move from Udinese to Inter Milan. Yeah, definitely. As we are talking about Italy, you actually went to Italy and you went to watch your beloved Barcelona play Sesca Moscow in the Champions League. Would you like to yeah. enlighten the listeners to, as to how your trip was and what were the highlights both maybe on and off the pitch, Scott? Uh, I would say the highlights off the pitch was probably the weather, which was uh, mid-twenties, so it was sunshine all the time I was there. So I left Monday... I flew from Bristol, which is probably an hour, hour, yeah, it's probably 45 minute journey on the train and then a 15 minute journey from the train to the airport. So I left Monday afternoon, got into Rome Monday evening, sunshine, late autumn sunshine, 
got some food, got some pizza, which, oh. yeah. <laughs> anyone goes to Italy, Italian pizza is lovely, but it's bloody hours of filling. Um, and Tuesday, like, just walked around where I was staying, I had some pasta, and then walked, walked to the ground, which I always do, walked to the ground a couple hours before kickoff, and you see all the, uh, the people outside the ground, like, with the stores, with the scarves, and all the, all the shirts, and the memorabilia, just getting ready for the to pick up the money from the punters so got i've managed to pick up two scarves so i've got a roma seska scarf with the champions league logo all over it so i was pretty happy with that 15 euros which is not too bad mm-hmm. i was expecting a lot worse but on the game itself i managed to get into the ground probably about an hour before kickoff hour and 15 minutes before kickoff and then I've seen the footage from what happened at the, tra- uh, yeah. the uh, train station. I remember you uh, you tweeted me, and that, it was quite scary. Yeah. It's just like because most of the Seska fans were in the ground <coughs> in the ground already. And at Roma, if you're away in the Champions League, I think the fans stay up to about an hour, hour and a half after the game as well, and then they get escorted out. Yeah. I know that I don't, don't think there was that much trouble after the game. There was a bit of scuffles, which were reported, I imagine, here and in, in Italy. But like, they were like uh, like scuffles between Roma fans and Sesca fans. But yeah, atmosphere was brilliant. It was about forty-five to fifty thousand in, in in the stadium. I managed to get good seats. What I liked about my trip was that I was actually sat next to a guy from Russia, Russia who's a Roma fan. I think it was a Dutch couple. And I had a Scottish elderly couple sat behind me, and then I had quite a lot of uh, Italian Roma fans behind me as well. Very nice. So it's just it's like multicultural watching football. So it's, it's one love. On the game itself, um, Roma struggled a little bit in the first twenty minutes. Struggled to uh, to contain Sesca. Um, Mario Fernandez, who the right back was, was having a, a bit of fun down the right hand side against Davide Santon. They were just cutting through the midfield quite a lot. But um, the first goal settled Roma down. It was a lovely, lovely teamwork goal. Ed and Dzeko again, just like he loves playing in the Champions League this season. He's got five and three, and he's like a joint top goal scorer. Leo Messi, his double really helped settle Roma down, and he was involved in the third goal for Cengizundo, which was Ferenzi um, put um, a crossfield pass uh, to Dzeko, who got uh, a knockdown into Under, and it was three nil. Um, it could have been a, a bit more. Um, Seska had a couple of chances right near the end. Um, Robin Olsen, who was uh, came in in the summer for Allison, he had a slow start to Italy. But as you know, when you come into a different country, you've got to acclimatise to the, the, the new league, the new system you're playing in. But he's getting better and better game in, game out for the club. It was just a, a confidence-boosting win for Roma and sets him up for the return leg in Seska in a couple of weeks. And potentially... Uh, playing Real Madrid at home in, in late November for qualification for the latter stages of the, uh, the the Champions League, which is needed for the club because they're struggling a bit in the league and they need to uh, try and get as further they, they can in the Champions League to get the revenue and they need to buck up their ideas in the league as well. Yeah, it'd be uh, very interesting. But a great result nonetheless and I'm uh, really, 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 really pleased to enjoy it. Yeah, it was, the, it, was my, it was my second Champions League game watching Roma, and I'm, literally, I was so happy coming out of the ground. So I've actually seen them win a, a Champions League game. Yeah, you have to pick up a match ball next time, don't you? <laughs> yeah, three, three, doing added Jacko. <laughs> While I was in uh, in Rome, James, you were at uh, a Champions League game 
yourself, you're a IX Benfica. Could you tell us, uh, tell myself and the listeners, how was your your trip to the uh, Johan Cruyff Arena? And my trip was very nice. It didn't involve any flights or anything. It just involved yeah. going going to work the same day and coming home and chilling out for a bit before going to the match. But uh, yeah, a real uh, a real nice European tie to be part of. Got in early. Atmosphere was very very good from the off. Benfica fans in full voice. Uh, Ajax fans always believed, and it was um, it was for the most part a cagey game. You know, lots of niggling fouls, lots of breaks in play. The uh, the referee was uh, was blowing his whistle on many many occasions. Um, a great result for Ajax, but I found overall. Scott, I found Benfica to be far too conservative. They had they had patches in the game where uh, Grimaldo, the defender, had Afa Silva, the attacker, and Severovic threatened. But I just felt that the tactics of the manager Luis Vitoria just perhaps held them back a little bit. And you know, it was nil nil for a long, long time with the game petering out and free kicks being given and then wasted by on, by both sets of uh, teams. And then in the 92nd minute, uh, Anusay Masuari pops up with a winning goal for um, Ajax Amsterdam and the place goes absolutely bananas. And uh, it was uh, just, uh, you've you got people surrounding you, belting out their lungs and just the pure happiness and... Um, uh, it was a 90-second minute winner. I had to think of the people who I saw walk past me on the stairs uh, going to leave the stadium before that goal went in because it was... Uh, obviously, people leave the game early sometimes for their own reasons, for a train or traffic or public transport, but they missed a 90-second minute winner and the um, the jubilation afterwards where the club knows that if they get a positive result in Lisbon, it's highly likely they'll reach the uh, Champions League last 16. And if you remember, last season they didn't even play in European competition. No, no, yeah, they were eli- they were eliminated in the qualifying rounds against uh, Nice in the Champions League qualifiers and the Luxembourg in the uh, Europa League um, qualifiers, having uh, having reached the Europa League final only uh, back in May that year. So it's a fantastic boost for the club, and um, yeah, also good for Dutch football because PSV are not having the best time in Europe. But uh, yeah, a wonderful, uh, wonderful European night. Really enjoyed it, and I think that will go down. When I think back to the European games I've, I've seen in uh, Amsterdam and now Jan Cruyff uh, Arena, I think that Ajax Benfica one will stay will stay with me for a long time. Do you have a, Do you have any more plans for any more Ajax Champions League games, or are you just going to play it by ear? Um, I don't have any plans for Champions League uh, matches. That was the only one. Benfica, was, okay. you know, because I had uh, commitments with going to Arsenal Volskoplodava, where I was flying home on the night of the match against AG Athens, and uh, so I was, wasn't able to see that one. Uh, Benfica was the one I really wanted, and delighted to get, uh, to have uh, experienced it. Wonderful. And uh, I do, however, have two domestic Eredivisie matches coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, not this Saturday, but next uh, at home to Willem Tve. And then in the second week of December at home to De Graafstap. So uh, looking forward to those matches. Lovely job. Can I just add some, a caveat on my trip as, as, uh, to Rome? Of course. Um, I managed to uh, get a video of the Roma, the club hit Roma, Roma, Roma. Yeah. And it, it went a bit viral on social media, which had both the English 
the Italian, the Dutch, the Brazil, the Spanish, for, uh, the the uh, who, the people who run the Roma accounts tweeted it, and it's gone a bit viral. Mm. It's got, I think, it's got over close to a hundred thousand views. Wow, isn't so that great? Like, just like to thank the, uh, whoever behind it for retweeting it. So it was, it was pretty good. It, that was a bit. Uh, that was good to see. Every time Roma play at home, they bow out the the the, uh, the hymn, and they leave a bit for a cappella yeah. right near the end. And just to hear that fifty thousand Roma fans out about oh, that was brilliant. It was a bit spine tingling. Yeah, but wonderful for them to retweet your footage, and it, it just goes to show how uh, how when you catch a moment. Uh, even if it be in a before kick off or to to get an atmosphere, how uh, how that can go viral and how everybody can enjoy that afterwards. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for our, from our final point, James, I wanted to talk to you about PSV and yes. how they're getting on in the Eredivisie. They've had a a very good start under Mark van Bommel, who replaced Philip Koku in the summer, and we'll. Philip Koku went to Turkey to uh, take the job at uh, Fenerbahce. I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, PSV starting to the Eredivisie. Well, PSV's start to the Eredivisie has been tremendous. Mark van Bommel was the first PSV manager to win nine Eredivisie matches in a row. And their current stats read, played nine, won nine, scored 36, conceded only three. And um, I maintain, although they have, they've had a very impressive start, they're not over the hills and far away just yet. They had a spell in August where they went away to Fortuna Sittard, uh, only winning 2-1, scoring a goal, the winning goal in the 93rd minute. They followed that up with, uh, again, uh, Pexwala going away to play Pexwala, and Pexwala were much the better team for the majority of the match. And PSV came away with a win. One thing I will say that Van Bommel's done in comparison to what Koku never really did is he encourages them, he encourages them to attack, attack, attack and not just be happy with a, a 2 nil or a 3 nil. To give you an example, the last Eredivisie match they played, they were 4 nil up against FC Emmen, who uh, got promoted uh, uh, last season and their first time in Eredivisie as a club. And the PSV were 4 0 up at half time, and um, they spent the second half intent on scoring even more goals. And uh, it ended up a 6 0 win. And when Van Bommel was questioned at the end of the uh, pre- at the end of the match at the uh, pre-match press conference, he stated that um, he found the most impressive um, play of the night to be a uh, defensive play from Angelino, the defender, to maintain a clean sheet. So he's uh, very much a perfectionist. I doubted if he could go from managing for PSV under-19s to the first-team job. But you, the impressive thing about him, Scott, is when he's addressing the Dutch media, he speaks with so much authority. Well, it's quite clear that you're listening to a player that played at, at the highest level. I mean, he captained his country to a World Cup final, played for Bayern Munich and... Um, and played for PSV and, and went to Milan. And uh, A little fact that most people won't, might not know about Van Bommel as well is um, he's a very talented linguist and he's won on a quite a few occasions many awards. They have a um, an award here in the Netherlands for the, uh, the linguist of, of the year, if you like, uh, along those lines. And, and when he was at... Um, 
when he was at uh, um, AC Milan, he won the award, and um, they were saying about his um, his ability to adapt. I mean, when he went to uh, Barcelona, he um, he basically locked himself in a convent with uh, to learn Spanish as quickly as possible. And you see as well, you know, he wasn't just driven as a player, but he's also a manager that you wouldn't mess with. I mean, I, I, I've seen early comparisons to uh, to Van Gaal, but I only believe that to those comparisons to be in terms of uh, similar ca- characteristics, Scott. Um, I think he'll be at PSV for a long time, um, and uh, they've had a fantastic start. They've got some very good players as well, in particular Denzel Dumfries. He uh, recently made his international uh, debut for the Netherlands against um, against Germany, and uh, yeah, he didn't look out of place. And and the great thing about his um, about his um, route that Denzel Dumfries took is he he took the the traditional route. You know, he came up to the Eredivisie with Sparta with Sparta Rotterdam had a wonderful season, uh, got a transfer to Heerenveen. Fein. And then a transfer to PSV, and now he's uh, a fully fledged international, only at the age of only 22. So it's it's a great example to the rest of the youth players here in the Netherlands that um, the, tradi- the traditional route is still accessible, and it's well timed. And I think he'll keep that right back spot. I think he'll make that his own uh, for the coming years uh, in the Dutch national side as well. As you said that you think Ajax can catch him, do you think? The title race will be um, quite exciting for the for to people to watch in the Netherlands. And do you think it will go down to the wire to like the final games of the season in May? It could well do. You know, the current gap is only five points, and there's still twenty five games left. And um, you know, for PSV, the intensity upon which they play, they play with so much intensity, where it takes a lot of energy out of you. I wonder when they go to the likes of uh, Heer and Vane in Friesland and uh, coming to Amsterdam, going to Rotterdam. And Vey Venlo can also be a tricky away day for, for some for some teams. I mean, De Graafschap beat Feyenoord uh, on the opening day of the season in Dutchum. So you just see that, um, you know, this Eredivisie league is an acquired taste as someone who's, uh, who's watched it firsthand for more than a decade and has interviewed... Uh, many players and managers that are still active at that level, managing clubs in that league and players that have played in for many cl- uh, big clubs in that league that have gone on to play um, for the, the mid-table sides. The league is very much an acquired taste and I have to raise my eyebrows, Scott, when I hear people uh, um, dismiss it as a two-bit league because it's quite clearly not the case. No, hopefully it's not this season. Um, you've got like the likes of uh, Ajax who they've, they've brought in what Dusan Tadic. Mm-hmm. They've got David Neres, who's uh, a wonderful player to watch. Got Feyenoord, and it's going to be sadly Robin van Persie's last season because he's retiring at the end of the season. So you could, you could potentially get a three-horse race, and it, hopefully it'll just like people would always dismiss other leagues because they're only glued to the Premier League, and like during like. Like a couple of weeks ago, people were calling the French League a Farmers League, mm. and that was just before Leon went to Manchester City mm-hmm. and won two one, and that was after the night uh, when, the, when Liverpool uh, beat PSG. Yeah, but, yeah. It's, you, it's not always going to be the people's. They're always going to watch the Premier League and say that's the bee's knees, but there is other leagues out there. Absolutely, and we're uh, we're well equipped to speak about that and to watch that firsthand. I can't see finals 
mounting a title challenge. They are seven points behind PSV at the moment, but I, I worry if they have the strength and depth. Uh, Faith of Faith Venlo are currently fifth, and they harbour ambitions of uh, of European football. And they have a very good manager in uh, Amori Stein. Uh, Leonard Slitsky used to manage Hull. Is uh, is now managing Vitesse. Vitesse, yeah. Vitesse have had a great start, but they've fallen off a little bit with um, with their form of late, losing two of their last three matches. Um, it's a long old season, as we know only too well. The big uh, story of the season, apart from the obvious, is how much FC Groningen are struggling. They are bottom, having lost five of their last six matches. And they have a manager who they appointed who was managing not too long ago in the third division who used to play for Groningen. This is a club that in 2015 won the Dutch Cup and went on to play in the Europa League group with Sparta, um, Sporting Braga, Slovan Liberec and Olympic Marseille. And uh, they've fallen quite hard quite quickly. And I think that Groningen are, um, are, are turning into a relegation candidate because what we have here in the Eredivisie is we have the team that finishes last goes uh, um, automatically relegated and the team that teams that finish, finish in se- uh, 16th and 17th place, they go into what's called the relegation playoffs where they play over two legs, teams that have finished high up in the, um, in the Dutch uh, first division. And there's many, many surprises uh, in, those, in those games come the end of the season. Can I ask you just my final point on the Eredivisie? Of course. Do you think Dick, Dick Advocat will do a good job? Um, depends what you mean by good job. I mean he's got a, he's got a uh, he's got a wealth of experience, and he's someone yeah. who he's someone who quite clearly loves managing professional football clubs. And he's had a, he's had a stellar career. You know, he's done uh, everything he wanted to do, and he's always been. He's always been pulled back in. He's, in my opinion, very unjust and very unfairly. He's been labelled as greedy, as always wanting to take another job. But he loves the game so much. That's why he's still managing at the age of yeah. uh, at the age of seventeen. He, he, you think of what he did for Rangers and for Zenit St. Petersburg. But FC Utrecht, um, there were many managerial candidates they could have gone for, and they didn't really keep their finger on the pulse. And they've made it quite clear that they only want to have Advocat for one season and then they're going to look to find a successor. They could have had um, Maury Stein, who I spoke about at Faith for Faith and Low. Um, there were a couple of other candidates, but as I've stated uh, before, Scott, the uh, Dutch FA have such a, a an iron fist on how solvent the clubs are and how uh, the, the clubs live within their means. And in the case of contractual obligations in terms of salary and length of contract, clubs are extremely hot on this, and they're extremely aware because if you're, if you once you hand in your bookkeeping to the Dutch FA every year, you're um, you're supervised in terms of the category of club that you're described as, and if the Dutch FA give you warnings and you don't heed them and you continue to spend beyond your means you will be given sanctions and if you're not if those sanctions are not heeded you will be threatened with um, your license being taken away from you and the club will go back into amateur football so i think a lot of clubs particularly this season especially in the six vacancies that there were in the summer at one point for eredivisie clubs here i think they were just looking a bit too much in terms of financial um awareness rather than actually the talent of the manager of their um 
they're hiring. I think Advocat will get them in and around the European playoff qualification mark, but that might well be about it. Just be enough, yeah. Just for near be enough for you, Utrecht, um, for this season. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, anyway. you're welcome anytime. It's a, it's a club that's, uh, you know, it's the, the Utrecht is very much a student city. Uh, they harbour ambitions of uh, of playing regular European football, much to, uh, much along the lines of uh, Willem Trey, although Willem Trey have had a, very, a few difficult years, but Willem Trey have as much ambition in that respect. RZ as well, also playing in Europe and, um, and having a having many European matches in the last couple of years. Here, because Almelo are currently fourth with the uh, uh, German manager, Frank Wormhoff, who I actually, who I dismissed in terms of um, coming from German regional, uh, German national team set up to Hedekles, but he, he must be doing something right because they've got 19 yeah. points after nine games. But it's uh, it's a long old season, as we know only too well, and there are many a twist and turn ahead, but uh, I think that, um, I think Ajax will go on to catch PSV Eindhoven over the course of the season it'll be fun to watch yeah well that concludes our fourth European Man in the Post podcast we'd like to thank all the listeners for listening and uh, please feel free to tweet or send in any questions that you might feel you'd like us to answer we'd also like to point you in the direction of the Man on the Post podcast network that features the likes of unusual efforts and Man on the Post extra time and take a look because there really is something for everybody. We'd like to thank you for your continued support and we look forward to speaking to you again next week. Bye-bye, everybody.